Today on Abounding Grace. I really do believe today this time in God's word is going to stir you. And it's going to challenge you because how are you answering the question, what am I doing with the privileges that God has given to me? What am I doing? Am I living for this world? Am I caught up in the things of the world? Do I not care? Am I willing to step out in faith? Am I willing to sacrifice? Am I willing to lay my life down on the altar? Am I willing to go back to that new believer zeal that I had when I first got saved? What's happened to us? This is amazing grace. When you're in the midst of a crisis like many in our world are at the moment, it's good to be reminded of God's faithfulness. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll pause to consider God's faithfulness to Israel in the past. And you can be sure He'll be faithful to us in the present, even in the midst of a pandemic. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor with part one of What Am I Doing With The Privileges God Has Given Me? One of the messages, the themes of Romans is anyone can get saved. Everyone can get saved. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone. It's for anyone. That has been the theme in this glorious gospel of grace is that if you are here today and you are disconnected from God because of your sin, God has made a way for you to be reconciled or be brought back. It's through his son, Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, you're in Romans chapter 9. Just turn a few pages over to chapter 1 and we're reminded what Paul said as he considered the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 16 with me of chapter 1 in Romans. As we realize and understand that anyone and everyone can be saved by faith. It's a gift of grace, Jew and Gentile alike. So in verse 16 he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for who? Who does it say in your Bible? Everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The early church was primarily made up of Jews, Jewish believers. The church in Jerusalem primarily made up of Jewish people. But then the gospel began to spread. Just like Jesus said, you're going to be witnesses here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. And so as the gospel spreads, you know what happens? More and more Gentiles are getting saved. Non-Jews. They're pagans. Everyday, run-of-the-mill heathens hearing the gospel, embracing it, and saying, I need to be saved. And so the church is overrun with Gentiles. Paul's ministry, even though he went to the Jew first, it became a ministry to the Gentiles because there came a point where the Gentiles listened and received the gospel far more than the Jews did. And so Paul becomes known as the apostle to the Gentiles. And you know, the Jews were upset with that. They go, why are you turning on us, Paul? I mean, you were a rabbi. What's happened to you? It's often the response that people get when they become a Christian, where, where you get sold out for the things of God and your family and your friends. And what has happened to you? Why are you always in church and talking about Jesus all the time and reading your Bible? What has happened to you? And all you can say is that, you know, my Jesus loves me and I love him. 
And Paul says, listen, not only does my Jesus love me and I love him, but in verse 1 of chapter 9, he says, I, want, I tell you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and a continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. And that was what we looked at last time we were together in depth, this heart of evangelism that Paul had, that we all have. But he says, listen, I love you guys. Just because God is working in the Gentiles right now doesn't mean I don't love you, doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. If you will believe in the Messiah, you too will be saved. And he defends himself in saying, look, I love you even though you don't like my message, even though you don't like what God is doing. And even though you're not happy, I'm going to share with you the truth. I'm going to tell you, you know, I'd rather lose my own salvation if it meant that you would get saved. I'd give it up freely. Flip over to chapter 10, verse 1. He says almost the same thing Paul does as he's considering his Jewish brethren. Oh, it's glorious that the Gentiles are getting saved, but it would be also glorious if more Jews were getting saved. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 10, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that for Israel is that they may be saved. That's where he's at. And you know, as you look through Romans, it's a wonderful, glorious book of the grace of God. And chapters 9, 10, and 11 are sort of like a pause. I mean, he's going through and he's sharing great and wonderful things about salvation and how you can be saved. I mean, you get to chapter 8, and you're so encouraged because it begins with no condemnation. You go through all the encouragement, it ends with no separation for those that are in Christ. There's no separation. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And, and now he just pauses in chapter 9 because he wants to turn his attention, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to Israel. God is not done with Israel. He is still going to fulfill his promises to his people, Israel. You know, often I'll tell you, when you're wavering in faithfulness, you know, you're just kind of unsure about whether God is faithful. I'll tell you as a pastor, I say, remember the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is an example of the faithfulness of God. God keeps his promises. But let me give you one that's modern day. Let me give you one that you can tangibly see, that you can tangibly watch, that you can even hear about right here and now. When you think and start to waver about faithfulness with God, I'll give you one picture today, right now, of the faithfulness of God. And I'll give you one picture using just one word. You know what it is? Israel. Israel's existence today is proof of God's faithfulness. You know, no other nation ever to exist that has been scattered like Israel, been abused like Israel, been persecuted like Israel and the Jew, been scattered all around the globe. No other nations has been scattered like that were able to retain their identity. But you know, Israel not only retained their identity, but they reoccupied the very land that God promised they would receive, and they are there right now. Talk about God's faithfulness. The pause of Paul here in chapter 9, 10, and 11 is reminding us of God's faithfulness. If you're taking notes, I'll give you some overviews of the chapters as we go through them. Chapter 9 is God's faithfulness shown to Israel in the past. And Paul's going to be jotting things down about the past of Israel, taking things from Isaiah, taking things from Hosea, taking things from Deuteronomy. He's going to quote and say, look, I want you to see God's faithfulness to Israel in the past. Chapter 10, God's faithfulness to Israel in the present. And he's going to look at the present working of God with Israel. And then chapter 11, Paul will then begin to speak about God's faithfulness with Israel in the future. Because God's promises to Israel will be fulfilled fulfilled. 
Now, we've been in Romans so long that we might forget all the connections and all the context. So chapter 9 actually is an extension of chapter 3. So go back to chapter 3, and let's look at chapter 3, and we'll walk right into chapter 9. Paul was sharing in chapter 3 about the sinfulness of man, how we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He opens up chapter 3, though, by asking a question. He says in verse 1, What advantage, then, has the Jew... Or what is the profit of circumcision? And he asks the question because he anticipates what's going on in their minds. Look back at chapter 2, verse 28. He was explaining to them, Hey, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. And I can already hear the Jews going, What? We've gone through the outward work of circumcision and it doesn't matter? What do you mean it doesn't matter, Paul, that I'm a Jew and that's my heritage? And he says in verse 29, But a Jew is one who is one inwardly, And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. What then advantage does the Jew have, he says in verse 1? What's the profit then of the circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. And he begins to say, listen, there's, there's great advantages to being a Jew. Oh, I know that you've been resting in that and you haven't been looking to God. I know you're very religious, but there are great advantages to being a Jew. And the first one he mentions right here in chapter 3 is that you were given God's word. You had the very word of God. You had the oracles of God. Now, chapter 9, he gives us nine more advantages for the Jew. Nine more privileges that have been given to the nation of Israel. For those of you that are jotting notes down, write these down. Great, great privileges. Oh, I know Israel has been separated from God because of their rejection of the Messiah, but they have been given great privileges. The first one in verse 4 is, who are Israelites? So the privilege of being an Israelite, the term Israel can be defined a couple different ways. One of them is the prince of God. That's a cool title. But another one is governed by God. When you think of Israel, you can think of governed by God, someone who's ruled over by God. And the children of Israel were given the privilege of being ruled by God, being governed by God. Jot this one down, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. It says, you are, speaking to Israel, you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. What a privilege. The second one in verse 4 is, who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption. And so they have the adoption. They were adopted as sons. They weren't just some scattered people that now have a God that they worship distantly, but they became the family of God. They became adopted. Those of you that are parents completely understand this. You love your kids. They are your family. If they were adopted, maybe you have a family that's been blended, they're your kids. Now, you might love other people's kids. You might love your nieces. You might love your nephews. You might love your neighbors. You might have love for other children that are in your family or part of your friendships, but they, that love for other kids doesn't even come close to the type of love you have for your own kids. Why? Because they're yours. And that's what God's saying here. You're my kids, Israel. Jot this one down. Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. The Lord, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. No other nation could say that. The third thing we see in verse 4 is not only are there Israelites who pertain the adoption, but they also receive notice the glory. 
the glory. You know what this is a reference to? It's a reference to the Old Testament, to the Shekinah glory, the very presence of God. Remember as they were traveling through the wilderness, they had the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. It rested there over the tabernacle. And then when the, when the temple was built, the glory of the Shekinah glory right there on the mercy seat. No other nation had that. No other nation could connect God like that. What a privilege. Not only were they children of God, not only were they adopted as sons, but they had the very glory of God in their midst. No one else had that. It was a very special blessing to them. Oh, not only that, he says the fourth thing here, not only did you have the glory, but you also had the covenants. The covenants, the agreements that God made with his people, the covenant that God made with Abraham. He told Abraham that your descendants are going to be multiple. Your descendants are going to be blessed. The whole world, all the nations are going to be blessed through you, Abraham. No other nation received that. Only Israel. And you know, if it wasn't enough, Paul could have stopped right there. It would have blown you away, but he doesn't. He continues. He says, not only did you receive the covenants, but notice you also received the giving of the law. You received the giving of the law. You received the Ten Commandments. You were taught how to live. You were taught what was right. God so loved Israel that he said, listen, I will show you how to live. You know, a lot of people look at the Bible as some kind of restrictive manual that's going to bum you out, but it's not. It is designed to teach you and me how to live and how to live abundantly. And so some things it's going to encourage and some things it's going to discourage. Why? Because they're not good for you. It's not good to go that way. It's not good to make that decision. It's not good to sin. It's not good to jump in no matter how it feels or how it looks. The giving of the law. Oh, how wonderful. They didn't have to try to figure it out. Go, well, okay, now, you know, where are your children? Now what do we do? I wonder what we do. No, God, the privilege that he gave to Israel, I'll tell you how to live. I'll tell you exactly what I expect. I love that. And if that wasn't enough, he didn't stop there. The sixth thing in verse 4 is not only did they receive the covenants and the giving of the law, but they also received, notice, the service of God. This takes us back to Leviticus. See, not only did God help the children of Israel morally with the law, but he also helped them spiritually with how to worship him. God prescribed to the priests and the Levites what worship was to look like. You know, we've learned this before in the church here. You just don't kind of worship God however you want. You don't define your own way to worship, and I think I'll do it this way, and I'll do it my way. No, the worship God desires is the very worship that he prescribes. It's not our invention. It's God's work among us. And that's what he, he said, I gave you the services. I, I showed you how to worship. I gave you the sack, all the priests, all the offerings, all the holy days, all the feasts, all pointing to Jesus Christ as types and pictures of the Messiah that was to come. Powerful. You know, he didn't end there in verse 4. Notice, he said the service of God and the promises. He says, you're a nation that I made promises to, and I keep my promises Promises, the best promise that he made was that the Messiah would come through them. He said, you're going to birth through the Messiah, would come through your lineage. You know, God has made promises to you and me, and just like Israel, he keeps his promises to you and me. Oh, if that wasn't enough, he continues, verse 5, he says, of whom are the fathers? The fathers, they had spiritual lineage. This is the eighth thing. They had the fathers. They could look back and say, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're our fathers. David, no, they weren't perfect, but they had a spiritual lineage that handed down 
the knowledge and the understanding of God. I mean, some of you, you have the same thing as a Christian. You could look back and say, you know, I have a godly heritage. My dad was saved. My grandpa was saved. My great-grandfather was saved. I have this God. What a privilege to come from such a family. And I know, of course, some of you are going, but hey, Ed, I don't have that. I mean, it just started with me, man. I just got saved. Great. Then the lineage does start with you. Everything starts in your family right now with you. So that if the Lord doesn't come back for 10, 15 years, your kids, your grandkids are going to be able to look back and say, you know, my dad was saved. And I saw that my dad was saved and my grandpa was saved. And you begin in your family right now. But Israel, Israel had a godly heritage. It was a privilege. And friends, it is a privilege to have a godly heritage. It's a privilege to hand down a godly heritage to the next generation. You know, if that wasn't enough, he ends it in verse 5 and he says, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. He says, if it wasn't for you and the Jewish nation, the privilege that you guys had, if it wasn't for you, the Messiah wouldn't be here. But because of you, the Messiah came through you. The Savior came through you. I mean, Paul is going to begin to address the Jew. And he's highlighting right here all of the privileges that they had. All the wonderful privileges. But you know what's happened with the Jew then, and I find many Christians here today as well, what's happened with the great privileges that we've been given is that we haven't done anything with them. You know, for the Jew, they didn't do anything with their privileges. They rejected the Messiah. They had all these blessings from God and lived a life of rejection. God the Father sent Jesus Christ to the Jew first. Flip over to John chapter 1. I'll show you what I'm talking about. They had all these wonderful privileges, and what did they do with them? Nothing. So many of the Jews rejected Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 1 of John's Gospel, verse 11. It's sad. You know, because we have to ask ourselves the question, okay, I see the example of the Jew with their privileges and they didn't do anything with them and they, many of them, most of them rejected the Messiah. Of course, some didn't. Some did something with it. They believed and they received, but many didn't. And then we have to ask ourselves, okay, with all the privileges that we've been given as a church, that all the privileges that we've been given as a, as a congregation, as Christians, what have we done with the privileges that God has given to us? What are we doing with them now? Oh, it's not just a question for us. It's a question, well, it's a question for me. What am I doing? What am I doing with the privileges that God has given me? You know, I would venture a guess right now that there is not one ounce of fear in any of your lives right now of somebody busting those doors down, the government coming in with big machine guns, taking your Bibles away, ripping you away, taking your kids away, locking you up and saying, Christians, you cannot worship openly. Of course not. We have great freedom to worship today. I mean, we can worship just about anywhere, doing anything. And I know there's some things going on in the government today, but for the most part, we are totally free to worship Jesus Christ and pray where we want to, worship where we want to. Hey, not only do we have one Bible, but some of you have four or five. You know, I can open up my computer, boom, open it up, 20 versions right in front of me. What a privilege. Not only do I have all the versions, but I can cross-reference with all the original language and all the commentaries and all the things all the privileges that God has given to me. And so the Jew stands as a warning to us. Look at verse 11, John chapter 1. It says that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. They just weren't willing. Flip over to Luke chapter 13. Speaking of Jerusalem, of the Jews, they weren't willing. 
Let me just say unwillingness is horrible in the life of the believer. It's a horrible thing. You know, this heart of unwillingness has sent more people to an eternity apart from Jesus Christ than just about anything else. An unwillingness to receive, a battle, a fight. It sent more Christians, this heart of unwillingness, to the sidelines. Unwilling to receive, unwilling to listen. Look at verse 34 of chapter 13 in Luke's gospel here. Unwillingness. And I really do believe today this time in God's word is going to stir you. And it's going to challenge you because how are you answering the question, what am I doing with the privileges that God has given to me? What am I doing? Am I living for this world? Am I caught up in the things of the world? Do I not care? Am I willing to step out in faith? Am I willing to sacrifice? Am I willing to lay my life down on the altar? Am I willing to go back to that new believer zeal that I had when I first got saved? What's happened to us? Oh, Lotus, verse 34, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who sent to her. I mean, God sent messenger after messenger, prophet after prophet. Even Paul, he's walking around sharing the gospel. What's happening to him? He's getting stoned. He's getting thrown in prison. People are trying to kill him because he's just sharing the gospel. And he says, those of you that kill the prophets, stone those that are sent. How often, Jesus says, I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And just mark these five words. There's five words in the New King James. Mark them. And right next to him, Lord, don't let this be me. But his word to them was, but you were not willing. You were not willing. I'll tell you, unwillingness has sent more people to an eternity apart from Jesus Christ. It has sent more Christians to the sidelines. Unwillingness. I mean, in this day and age, we are so privileged. We can hear the Bible taught to us anytime from some of the best Bible teachers to ever walk the planet in our day and age. We could flip on the computer and listen to Bible studies. We could fill a billion gigabytes on an iPod with Bible studies. We have music that encourages us. We have CDs. We have tapes. We have books. We have the radio. We have television. We are a blessed people with the opportunity to receive the Word of God. We're in a church that teaches the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, carefully, slowly, simply. We have so much of the Word, so now what are we doing with the privileges that God has given to us? What are we doing? An important question we need to ask ourselves. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor posed the question, what am I doing with the privileges God has given me? Hear it again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And we also offer an app, too. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. In Hebrews, we read that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So to say faith is important would be an understatement. It's the key to a successful Christian life. But what is faith? Where does it come from? And how does it work? What does it accomplish? Those questions and more are uncovered in a book we'd like to recommend to you by Chuck Smith. It's titled, Faith. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, ask for a copy of Faith. Give us a call at 877-30-GRACE, and we can help you with that. That number again is 877-30-GRACE. Please also remember it's your financial support that helps us continue Abounding Grace on this station and many others like it. We're constantly hearing great reports of what God is doing in our listeners' lives, and your support helps to make that possible. So, thank you. 
You can make a secure donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Pastor Ed, I understand you've selected 145 verses that can bring encouragement to our listeners at this particular time. And how can our listeners access those? Well, Larry, I'm glad that you asked because I regularly write and post at my website, edtaylor.org. And it, it really, you need to be super careful. It has to be .org uh, because .com is owned by a professional Santa Claus. That's not me. <laughs> but the writings that I provide, like this list that I came across, actually another pastor friend of mine compiled them, and I had the privilege of posting them as he put them together from a request uh, from his son looking for some encouraging verses. So I posted them at edtaylor.org, where I regularly post encouragement, devotionals, uh, and articles on grief, how to handle grief, discouragement, and depression, all of which are very common uh, during a time of isolation and quarantine like we are, uh, like we're in, in uh, across the country and around the world. So that's edtaylor.org, and I'd love to hear from you. You can email me there as well. I'd love to hear from you, what God's doing in your life, any prayer requests you might have. You can email me through my website, edtaylor.org. Again, that's waiting for you now at edtaylor.org. Glad you've taken time out to study the Word with us, and be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor tomorrow for Abounding Grace when we'll continue our series in Romans. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.